0: New names given to Abraham and Sarah resulting in new gains. The first thing you'll note in your bulletin outline is that the exalted father, that's what Abram means, becomes the father of many nations, that's what the name Abraham means. Verse 1 tells us that this occurred when Abram was 99 years old. This is 13 years after the birth of Ishmael and so more than another decade of time has come and gone and still Sarai is without a child. And if you look at verse 18, you will see that Abram is still holding out for Ishmael to be the heir. If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Now, you know that Ishmael was the child born to Hagar, not Sarah. And God responded, Yes, but. Yes, but your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. You know, people put names to things that are realities. And so God moves from promising Abram, a son, a son, a son. Yes, a son is coming. To you will call him Isaac. Same certainty was given to Hagar 13 years earlier. Chapter 16, verse 10. You will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael. We read, so Hagar bore Abraham a son and Abraham gave him the name Ishmael, which means God hears, to the son that she had born. It's the same thing when we come to the New Testament announcements of both John the Baptist and the announcement of Jesus' birth. Another old and childless couple was that of Zechariah, he was a priest, and his wife Elizabeth. And as he served his turn at the altar of incense in the temple, the angel Gabriel announced to Zechariah, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Luke chapter 1, verse 13 and following. Further down in the same chapter again, Gabriel makes another announcement, this time to Mary. You have been found favor with God and you will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, Luke 1 verse 31. Matthew records a similar promise to Joseph, Mary's intended husband, where the angel spoke to him saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. That means Savior. Because he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 1 verse 20 and 21. Now the obvious indication in all of this is that when a name was given to a yet unborn baby who you have to remember in this day and age, uh, they had no way of knowing uh, the sex of the child, that child must be inseparably linked to the promise of God, who not only knows all things, but orchestrates what is to be. So you see, both God's omniscience and his omnipotence are at play here. The combination of what God knows or declares, with what comes about the birth of the male heir, Ishmael to Hagar, Isaac to Sarah, demonstrates to all reasonable men cause and effect. These things don't just happen. God makes the promise and then it comes about. Ishmael, however, a son conceived by Abram with Hagar through the normal means of procreation, whereas Isaac... Supernatural means based on God's promised gift without Abraham or Sarah's procreative powers as the governing factor. Paul states it this way. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way. I'm reading scripture. But his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. It's Galatians chapter 4 verse 23. And more detail was found in Romans 4, which we read today. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old. And our text tells us he was 99 years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Romans four, eighteen through 21 The scope of God's promise is found in our text, verse 3 and following. Abram fell down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And that's what Abraham means. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Genesis 17, (coughs) 3-7. If you look in our text, the same problem is essentially contained in what God said of Sarah. Look at verse 15 and following. God also said to Abraham... As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai, which means princess, by the way. Her name will be Sarah, noble woman. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. So essentially, same promise made to Abraham. Now, both of these name changes indicate a new life for the patriarch and his wife. Abram, Sarai, are Chaldean names. They are the names of their pagan past. Whereas Abraham and Sarah are their covenant names. Names that God himself gave them to emphasize that they were his and he was theirs. Verse 7. And would be uh, the God of the descendants as well. Oh, and by the way, God chose a new name for himself in this text. Not Jehovah, not Adonai, Lord, but, verse 1, El Shaddai, God Almighty. Thereby saying to this couple, verse 2, I will confirm my covenant between you and me wow that's nothing there is nothing here that god cannot do he has promised and his promises will not fail to come true because god the almighty will accomplish everything that he has promised I, I read that name and and I think about this. This must have been such a welcome message to Abraham and Sarah after 20 years of waiting for this son that God said Sarah is going to have. The wait has been great, but it comes with great gains. What are the great gains? well we could reiterate they had new names speaking of their princely positions there was new resolve of commitment by god to give abraham the land of canaan and to be the god of his descendants that's found in verse 8 and the whole idea that god almighty is going to accomplish this but here's something new circumcision Circumcision, a covenant sign that signified the cutting away of the old sinful flesh, leaving in its place a new nature that would produce, think of the s- sexual organ here, that would produce people who would love and obey God. Verse 1, who would walk before me and be blameless. Wow. That's great. Blameless. Blameless. Several people in the Bible have this history attached to them. This is the account of Noah. I'm reading scripture. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Genesis 6, verse 9. Job 1.1 describes Job. In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. Which is the equivalent of walking with God, you say. David. David says, The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not done evil By turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him. And have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanliness of my hands in his sight. To the faithful you show yourself faithful. To the blameless you show yourself blameless. To the pure you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. Psalm 18, verse 20 through 26. Or again, Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Now here's my question. What is meant by a blameless life? A blameless life. Well, in the Hebrew text, the word means to be whole, to be complete, a person of integrity, a person who is a follower of truth and who believes in facts. If we move to the New Testament, which you know was written in Greek, the Greek word means to be faultless, That is to say, not in the wrong. For example, Paul's prayer for the Thessalonian brethren is this. May God strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 13. Now here's the key. Blameless is not a synonym for sinless. For there is none of us who does not sin. Even Paul says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Now there's the blameless character. He agrees that the law is good. That's his modus operandi. The fact that he can't carry it out all the time because he is a sinner and has a sin nature does not mar the fact that he sees the the beauty of the law of God, the truth of God. It's the truth of Christ shining through. He goes on. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me and that it is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good. There's the blamelessness coming through again. But I cannot carry Romans 7, 14 through 18. The biblical characters whom God labeled blameless, we just looked at some, Noah, Job, David, Paul, and others, were not sinless men, but they were blameless in this sense. Their goal in life was to live for God, walking with Him, obeying His laws, being men of integrity, and that is truth, and men who, like Job, shunned evil rather than indulging it. Were they always successful in their walk with God? No. But even then, even when they were not successful, when failure was evident, what did they do? They took the righteous course of action, namely confession and seeking God's forgiveness. That's the blamelessness coming through. David, with his sin of adultery with Bathsheba, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Psalm 32, verse 5. Now you see, that's the action of a blameless man. David knew his behavior was a violation of God's moral law. He knew he was guilty. And he didn't try to hide it. He didn't try to candy coat it. This is why God labeled him as a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Acts 13 verse 22. That's in contrast to King Saul who, as you know, was wicked and indulged wickedness in his heart. So I've said all that to say this, that circumcision, the cutting away of the fleshly part of the male reproductive organ, was to indicate that for Abraham, his true descendants would become those who walk before God Almighty, verse 1, in a blameless manner. So... When the Pharisees claimed that they were Abraham's children, the Greek word is tekna, Jesus recoiled saying, I know you are Abraham's descendants, sperma, sperm. I know you are Abraham's descendants. You're his biological offspring. Yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. And boy, that got him mad. They retorted, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, techna, a child with the nature of the parent, you say, if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. John 8, verse 37 through 40. So you see how here Jesus picks up on the terms of children, biological seed, sperm, and he says, I'll grant you that you are the biological offspring of Abraham. But you're not his children. You don't have his nature. The children whom Abraham produces and continues to produce are people with circumcised hearts, a heart that like David's and like Father Abraham, seek to walk before God in a blameless manner. And anything less is a phony, like the Pharisees, who had the mark of physical circumcision on them, but whose hearts were full of murder towards Abraham's true heir, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's a gain that comes to Abraham as God begins to ratify And explain more and more uh, the idea of his covenant with him. Abraham, you're going to produce children who have your nature. Who want to walk blamelessly before God. Now you know that this is more than physical, don't you? I'm leading up to (laughs) the real children of Abraham. The second gain in this restatement of the covenant is this. Abraham is told both the name and the time of the promised son, Isaac. Twenty years have come and gone while Abraham and Sarah have waited and waited and waited for God to fulfill his promise to them. No particulars have been disclosed until now. Verse 19, your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him and an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So here again, the giving of the name, this case, Isaac, personalizes the promise and assures that God is working his will as he had promised. Abraham and Sarah now have a name. To put with this baby boy. Oh and. um, How many more years. We might be thinking. We'll have to pass by. Before okay. Isaac shows up. Verse 21. My covenant I will establish with Isaac. Whom Sarah will bear to you. By this time next year. Oh boy, I'll bet that was a great relief. What a welcome relief. What a welcome encouragement that must have been for Abraham and Sarah. No more 10-year increments of time. Just, Just hang in there, guys. One more year The two of you will receive God's promised child. What a gain this was over the years of silence, the years of waiting, the years of trying to hurry the event along, even though Ishmael was never the promised son. Oh, and speaking of Ishmael, there is new data concerning him. Verse 20, I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and he will greatly increase in number, that's old news, okay, here's the new news, he will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. If you check Genesis 25, verse 12 and following, you will find a genealogical list of Ishmael's twelve sons by name, Listed chronologically from the oldest to the youngest, 12 princes in all, and the epitaph inscribed by Moses tells the fulfillment of God's prophecy, they, Ishmael's 12 sons, lived in hostility towards all their brothers. Which is exactly what Moses said would occur. Not only among themselves, but hostility towards their half-brothers, may I say, the descendants of Isaac. And these hostilities between Arabs and Jews are as contemporary as our day. And they demonstrate once again that God's word is true regardless of the passing of time. God does not age, nor does his word. This is so because God always tells the truth, and truth, if it is truth, is timeless. It's timeless. Contrary to the subjectivism of our day in which people believe that truth is relative and that each person must find his own truth. Or when they talk about, well, we used to believe this, but now uh, we have discovered that this is the case. Well, then what used to be believed was wrong and that wasn't truth, even though they thought it was truth. Truth is timeless. If it's true, It's always true. We have that living out in our day. Now this brings us then to the spiritual gains and the spiritual realities. Some of this was physical. Descendants, that kind of thing. What about the spiritual gains? Well, number one, Abraham was to be a blessing to the world. In God's original announcement of the covenant he made with Abraham, he told the patriarch, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. Now notice, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Genesis 12, verse 2 and following. Even at the get-go, before Abraham left his pagan idols and his pagan country of Ur, God promised to build a nation from him. But even more memorable, he promised Abraham, you will be a blessing. I'm reading scripture. You will be a blessing. Genesis 12, verse 2. And then God told him the scope of his blessing. What's the scope? All peoples on earth will be blessed. Through you. All peoples on earth? Not, Not just Jews? Not just Arabs? Is there a third category that would include people unrelated to Abraham and Sarah and unrelated to Abraham and Hagar? All people on earth. That is inclusive, isn't it? It's global, not provincial. It's universal, not partial. It's integrational, not racial. All people on earth will be blessed. Note verse 27. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household, or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Genesis 17, verse 27. Verse 13. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Verse 13. So this opened the door for Gentiles who have no biological connection to Abraham whatsoever. On Judgment Day, Paul tells us, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope is also plain to your conscience. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 and 11. We note here that the criteria by which all of us are to be judged is what Paul labels good or bad, and not as men define these things, by the way, but as Christ the judge would define them. Now, that's scary. If we're going to be judged on the basis of God's definition of good or bad, who then would ever be able to pass such scrutiny. Paul continues, same text, 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come, and all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of god second corinthians 5:17 through 21 if a person is in a rebellious state towards christ then yes the tribunal before his throne bodes an ominous outcome the writer of Hebrews says, A fearful expectation of judgment and of a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Hebrews 10, verse 27. But, but for those who have, been, have made their peace with God through faith in his son's atoning work, reconciliation is the result. And so Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the message of reconciliation. What's the message of reconciliation? It's the gospel, folks. That God is in the world working through the message, not counting men's sins against them. They need to hear that. Being told, be reconciled to God being told that God has made him who knew no sin to be sin for all who will believe. This is the great heritage that God gave to the world through Abraham's son. Not Isaac, but the son whom Isaac represented. Paul tells us about it in Galatians. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Through Christ Jesus. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established. So it is in this case, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. I'm still reading scripture. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, plural, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, singular, meaning one person who is Christ. Wow. Galatians 3, verse 13 through 16. And then in verse 29, he gives us the conclusion is this. If you belong to Christ, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, Galatians 3, verse 29. So the third category constituting Abraham's descendants are all those believers who constitute the church, of which we read, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Wow. Galatians 3, 28 and 29. Abraham's blessing to the world is that through Abraham came the seed, the Savior. And that if anyone comes to Christ in faith, They become Abraham's spiritual seed as well. We need to learn this. Your salvation, I know your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the earth was even created. But when we come into the historical realm, your salvation dates back to this covenant that we're studying here in Genesis 12 and these other chapters. This man, Abraham, (laughs) means a whole lot to us as Christians. And he's called the father of the faithful, meaning the father of us who have faith in his seed, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, we need to learn that our best posture before God is one of faith and submission, not promoting our own agenda. How many ways, I'm asking this question, How many ways and how many times must God say something to us before we believe it and obey it? Every time Abram and Sarai got antsy about being childless and without an heir, they tried to rectify their dilemma through their own wit. In chapter 15, Abraham said to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, What can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer from Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son. Coming from your own body will be your heir. Genesis 15, verses 2 through 4. Okay, next chapter. A son from your own body. Sarah had a solution, right? So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. So go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed. To what Sarah said, Genesis 16, verse 2. And Ishmael was conceived and birthed. Okay, son from, that's Abraham's son, right? That must be it. That must be God's promise. It wasn't. Chapter 17. God again appears to Abram and changes his name to Abraham. And he again reiterates his promise. Verse 16, I will surely give you a son by her. Now we're getting specific, by Sarah. And what is Abraham's response? Verse 17, Abraham fell face down and he laughed and he said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing." Can you believe this? I can believe this. Faith in God is subject to growth. God seldom deposits all that he wants in us as believers in one lump sum. This is because we learn from our mistakes if we are true people of God. Abraham keeps pushing for Ishmael. To be his heir because Ishmael's there. <laughs> it's 13 years now, by the way. He's 13 years old when Abraham makes this statement in Genesis 17. So he's there, he's a reality, and he truly is a son of Abraham, right? Yet a son by his own pre- procreative powers. And therefore, he had nothing to do with God's promise. Promise goes with grace, see? Grace means a gift, not something you work for. If you can do for yourself, do you really sense any need for God? And all the way through this history, we're learning here that Abraham and Sarah, they're they're still trying to figure out how they can work all the angles and, 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 and see the fulfillment of God in their lives. And God keeps saying to them, that, no, 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 Despite Abraham's continued push for his own agenda, listen to God's response. All oh, that Ishmael, you know. And God says in verse 19, yes, but. But what? Ishmael was Hagar's son, not Sarah's, as promised. And Ishmael was conceived by Abraham by the power of his own flesh. There was nothing miraculous about his conception. But your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac, which means God laughs. God laughs? God laughs at the poor Substitutes we propose over his will. Our agenda looks wise to us, but faith believes, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Proverbs 16, verse 3. Or again, Solomon reminds us many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Proverbs 19, verse 21. Why should we prefer the the Lord's plans over our own? God answers in the book of Jeremiah 29 verses 11 and following. God says, for I know, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I'll listen to you and you will seek me and you'll find me. Wow. When you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 and 13. I like God's plans better than my plan. God's plan says that he has plans to prosper me and not harm me. That he has plans to give me a hope and a future. Good planning will rely upon your own understanding. Faith reaches out to God and believes that he who knows the end from the beginning, he whose intentions are for our good and not harm, he who controls all the variables of life, has a plan that brings hope and happiness not only for today, but for tomorrow as well. Abraham had to learn this the hard way. Because he keeps pushing his own agenda. And God has to come back to him time and time again It's no, but. Here's the way it's going to be. My plan is better, Abraham. Would you like to have a child by Sarah, your wife, that has been barren all these years? Wouldn't that be like a wonderful miracle in your life? And then thirdly, I think we can learn that not only should our posture be one of faith and submission, it is only circumcision of the heart that enables a person to walk before God and be blameless. Verse 1. Only by the Spirit. Jesus put it this way, the spirit, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. John 6, verse 63. Paul writes it this way. It is written, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among man knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. That we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom. That would be the flesh coming through, wouldn't it? But in words taught by the Spirit. Expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot cannot understand them. That's the limitations of the flesh, you see. Because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and following. Well, if we have the mind of Christ, shouldn't we be thinking His thoughts? Shouldn't we be making our decisions that honor God and promote righteousness among men? Shouldn't we be walking blamelessly with God? If not sinlessly, but at least blamelessly. Knowing what's right, desiring what's right. How do we know what's right? The mind of Christ. In our heart and in our life. The Spirit knows the mind of Christ. And He reveals those things to us through His Word. I wish I could say at the close of chapter 17 of Genesis. Abraham now has had a name change. Sarah has had a name change. He's been given the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. He's been told that how he's going, how Sarah is going to have a son. The son's been named. I wish I could say at the close of chapter 17 that we're not going to hear any more about this alternate son or alternate program of Ishmael becoming God's, uh, Abra- God's promised heir to Abraham. But, not over yet. He's going to bring it up again. You think you have a hard head? <laughs> you think your pastor has a hard head? We do. We think we know best. We bypass the grace of God our stubbornness our Lord we pray that you would remove the stubbornness from our hearts Abraham and Sarah keep hanging on hanging on to their own schemes they believe but they don't believe they believe but there's unbelief there maybe time has made them cynics I don't know 20 years have passed And even though now they have a name to go with the promised child, we're going to have doubts about that. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to see that the promises of God are not fixed on our timetable, but on yours. And I like what you said in Jeremiah, that that your plan is to do us good, not harm. To give us a hope, to give us a future. To give us the promise of answered prayer when we call you. And that we'll find you when we seek for you. Who in the world has those promises? But God's people. So I pray that you'll rebuke us for our lack of faith. Number one. And secondly, that you will strengthen our faith to trust your word to launch out as it were, if we had nothing else than the bare word of God, to launch out on that and know that God said it and that his promises are as concrete and real today as they were when spoken years ago. We do thank you for the life of Abraham and Sarah because they are us. <laughs> as, as we try to walk through our world and and... See God in our lives. And we're just like them. We hang on to our own agendas and we 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 try to twist your arm and have you do what we want done. And Lord, you're showing us in all of this that your ways are the best ways. Forgive us our rebellion and grant to us that faith <clears throat> which we eventually see of Sarah and Abraham in the New Testament where all their willfulness is forgotten and forgiven. Lord, may that be us today. Save whom you will, in Christ's name. Amen. Our closing hymn is from Trinity, a red hymnal.